0: We're taking our Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we do the study this evening, following up what we've been talking about this morning, and that is you and your finances and talking about some of those things. This survey came up, by read, book, that talked about the idea of what about couples, what about families, when it talks about finances. And it was interesting that this survey that came out a few years ago said that only 23% of couples say that they actually talk about planning finances together. The rest, no. It's kind of just like an unspoken conversation. They said and when they asked these couples questions about one of the things like, when is retirement? What are you planning about after retirement? That of that uh, group that they asked, only 30% had an answer or understood what the other person was thinking or talking about. And so their conclusion is that in many marriages, money isn't a conversation. And then you wonder why it becomes an issue because kind of operating in this realm that they know what I'm thinking. And so they went a little bit further and they found out by doing some studies, even by a that did a study, they found out that almost 80% of the people from different age groups said that merit, that money had a play in the divorce when they went through. It was part of the conversation in the sense of why we are divorcing. And so money has a tremendous impact. And then they started thinking, and this article it goes on, what are some of the reasons, why are some of the things that couples, in particular, they get into disagreements about money? Why would that happen? And they projected all different types of different uh, reasons why somebody says, okay, this is where we get the conflict. It might be that we have different ideas. One is, is the idea of one person is thrifty. The other person is, why save it for a rainy day? You know, let's spend it. It's in our pocket. Or some just, bottom line, they said, the reason we have problems is we don't have enough money. Period. And then with the bills, and we have frustrations. Others, they don't agree upon a budget, how to set it up. Or they, some, even to the point that they refuse to, agree to work together. They don't want a budget. Some, they said, they point out in the survey that some people, they, don't, they, they keep buying things even when they agree that we're not going to buy something. For instance, uh, some couples have established this. We advise this in premarital counseling is that you have a limit that says, okay, if Deb's going to the store and she sees something, there's a limit that if it's over that amount for a purchase of some sort, then there's got to be communication before it's purchased. It's just not unilaterally spending lots of money even if it sounds like a good deal. And so some people, they don't agree on that, and some are just plain lazy. Some say that their partner, they don't put into the effort. They don't work with it. They, they leave me to make all the financial decisions. Others in their discussion said that you know some are impulsive, some are delayed purchasing, some are, you know their frustration is their partner doesn't know how to keep quiet about how much money we make. Um, I, I was caught off guard. I told you this with that when I was in China the one time. They came up and they said when I introduced, we introduced, uh, we're introduced a couple in their apartment. The first question they asked after they got our name was, how old are you and how much money do you make? Um, it would just put me off that, wait a minute, you don't, we don't ask those questions typically, okay, around here. And they said that in that culture, that was very normal. And so it creates some conflicts for others that say they don't, uh, they don't want to share things. Some do not want to talk about it. You know, what about uh, wills? What about inheritance? What about if there, one of us passes away? Then there's others who um, purposely deceive their spouse. They buy things, they keep bills, they, they hide them. And um, that I've seen people do at times, which amazes me. Then there's others who, um, they seem to get preoccupied with work. They get so occupied with things that they forget their family, and that creates problems as well. Then you have the proverbial individual who just, he doesn't think anybody else knows how to do it the way that person does. There's a story I read about a husband and wife that this husband had this idea. The wife was running the family business from her parents. She was operating the factory, and he wasn't involved in it, but he thought, I need to get involved. I need to just go in there and clean house. I don't think the employees are working as hard as they could. We could make more profit if somebody just, you know, got a grip on these employees. So the story goes that he decided to quit his other job, and he appointed himself as the president of his wife's company. He comes in, and he makes it known that he's going to clear house. And if you're a lazy person, we're getting rid of you. And so the first week, he goes and tours out in the factory. And as he's touring through the factory, he's observing people. Are they are they working hard are they not are they at their machine and he sees this one guy standing over there just leaning against a pole and so he's going to just he's going to take care of this guy and he's going to make him an example to everybody he walks up to this guy and he says what are you doing and the guy says just standing here waiting how much money do you make a week he says well i make three hundred dollars So this man, who's going to show everybody that he's going to clean house, he pulls out his wallet. He pulls out $1,200. He says, here, here's four weeks' pay. Now get out of here. I never want to see you here again. And the guy smiles and says, thanks, takes off. And so he turns to the other employees who have stopped and are watching this spectacle. And he says, does anybody know what his job was so they can take it? And somebody says, yeah, he was the pizza delivery guy. That's a good tip, okay? I do, you know, he came here from dominoes. <clears throat> so you get those situations where people just react and it doesn't work real well. So what we're talking about tonight is very practical from the Word of God. I am not going to pretend that I am one of those financial consultants and experts who do books, who do video series, who get into the mundane and will walk you through investments. And that, That's not my forte at all, uh, at all. It's, it's not there. But I can give you some biblical principles to just help lay a good foundation on finances. And so I want you to start with me in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us on Wednesdays, we touched this topic, I think, before Christmas. We were in this one part, well, part of it at least. And Jesus has an extended section in verse uh, chapter 6 where he's going to talk about possessions and treasures. He started in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, what's your Bible read? There your heart is also good. The light of the body is the eye and therefore thine eye is be, be single your whole, or dedicated. Then your whole body shall be full of the light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be filled with this darkness. And he's talking about greed. The idea of just overcome by greed. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either we hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. In the last phrase, you cannot serve God and... What's mammon? Okay, thank you. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not much be- are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature, and why take ye thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed, dressed up like one of those. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought or worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all those things the unsaved, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But you, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no worry or thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There is so much in this text, and I'm not going to expound upon this text, but I'm going to expound upon other passages, but come back and reference this on several occasions. So if you have your notes with you, write down verses go crazy tonight. Just writing down references you can look up later. I'm going to put them all up here to help us to flow through this quickly. But when it talks about you and I getting a better grasp on our financial situation, on our possessions, it starts with us having the right type of thinking and that we view our possessions properly. And so there's three different realities. I'm going to call it this way. Three realities that we have to keep in mind when it comes to money possessions. And it goes in, in hand with what we talked about this morning. Let's put down those three realities. This is the first one. All that we have comes from God, directly or indirectly. All that we have comes from God. Our cars, our homes, our jobs, our paychecks, uh, whatever it is. It's indirectly or directly from the hand of God. Here's verses for you. Both riches and honor come from the Lord. It is in your hand to make great and to give strength unto all. All things come of you. Here's another passage. Every good and perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Here's what Moses told the Jews to keep in mind. You shall remember this, the Lord thy God. It is he that gives you power to even get wealth. We can go a little bit further. We can make this comment that all that we have comes from God and all that we have belongs to God be via his creation power or via his regeneration work. The creation work is God made it. The regeneration is God purchased you, therefore he owns you. Look at the passages. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth, it belongs to you. It's yours. That's a mindset that we have to have, that we remember the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. By creation order, we belong to him. We are his possession. If we are his possession, will he care for us? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. He even says this, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. He can't get any clearer when he's talking to the peoples. And then we know this, that he says elsewhere, the world is mine, the fullness thereof. Every beast of the field, of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Don't we sing that song? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills. The sun and stars that shine. And we go on with the song that I forget right now. So what else do we know? We know that he owns us. What he says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. You are of God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. Does God own even the things that I own? If he owns me, he's the one who owns the house. He's the one who owns the car. That really these are on loan from God to me, to you. They're really not ours. That includes even our kids. The Lord has given us responsibilities. We'll talk about that after we get done with the missions conference. But he says again, you're bought with a price. There is a third reality of life. This is just the beginning of our thoughts this evening. The third is money is not the answer. Is this what the world presents? Does the world present the world that money is the answer? Yes, they do all the time. And we're saying, no, 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 God is the answer. Take heed, beware of covetousness, Jesus said, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things that he possesses. Jesus said elsewhere, what good if a man gains the whole world but loses his soul? The Lord made it clear, he says, man shall not live by bread alone. But what do we need? We need the Word of God. We need the working of God. And so even more necessary than the necessities of life is God's working in our heart. We need God to be filling us, guiding us, directing us, one, forgiving us, and then feeding us through His Word. Those are the basic principles. In in fact, when I do premarital counseling, these are the things I try to tell young people is that you have to look at your possessions and start off right when you're thinking about a budget. When you're starting, starting off right, when you're thinking about what you need to get in life. Because as young couples, we think we need to get as much as mom and dad have. Did it take mom and dad a long time to get it? Yeah. And so what you need to do is you need to have a mindset. And if you have these mindsets, that will help you to become content. And so we start off with those realities. And Jesus, our God in the Old Testament, said this is a prayer we ought to be praying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, give me just what I need to be content. And so, Lord, work in my heart. Keep my spirit right. That was number one. Number two. Now let's get into some practical areas beyond that. Determine in your spirit whether you're going to be a servant or slave to God or a servant slave to mammon. The passage you just read says you have one of two choices. You're either serving the money and the possessions or you're serving the Lord. There is nothing in between. And so thinking about that, Let's walk this through. He said the same thing in Luke, where he's repeating, and this time it's a sermon on the plains, not the sermon on the mount, where he says, no man, no servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other. And the idea is he will either put one... Uh, edify one, lift him up, and the other he won't lift up as much. And the idea is he will focus on this one and not focus on that one. That love-hate isn't the emotions, it's the idea of which one do you will prioritize. He will make either money the priority or he's going to make the Lord the priority. And he says, okay, you can't have both of them being the priority of your life. And that's true. That's true. You and I right now, right here, this moment, we're saying God is our priority. But is that going to happen tomorrow? on Monday? Is that going to happen when it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? What's going to happen the following week? And so we have to remember this is a constant battle. And money is strong enough that it can dominate lives. Do you know people who are dominated by possessions that it controls them rather than they control it? Have you ever run into people that way? Yes? No? Okay? Some people are really, they're just, they are, they they can't say no to the job the job is dominating their life or they have to get ahead of somebody or they are they're so far in debt they they can't see the sunshine because they are just totally you know have put themselves in a spot that they are ruled by that indebtedness those possessions and so even what we mentioned this morning he is telling us we have a decision to make are we going to be following the love of money or are we going to be following a love for the lord you have to choose you have to pick. And it's a constant battle for every single one of us. Where is this balance in our life as far as serving God or serving after things and possessions? And he tells us that we're supposed to flee this love of the money, which tells us that in the church there was this battle, even back then, that there was the love of money, the temptation, the, the idea of money of just and possessions, just overcoming people's spirits and their soul. And so you have to make a conscious choice. I want to serve the Lord. I want to become content with what I have. I'm going to work hard, do what I need to get some possessions, enjoy them, but they're not going to dominate me. But you're going to have to be constantly watching out that you don't get caught up into the other things. Do some people get caught so much up in their career that they can lose relationships? It happens. And sometimes they come to a point where they realize it's not worth it. I, I was reading several articles by people who were in executive positions that they said all of a sudden they came to a, a day of recognition that said, it's not worth it. I'm working 70, 80 hours a week, and I don't ever see my family, but I keep on telling myself I'm doing this for my family. And finally it dawned on me, my family doesn't want the money. My family wants me. But it was a battle. It's a struggle to be able to say, I will be content without being top-notch or the biggest dollar. And so he even says this to preachers. He says, those of you who have dedicated your life to serve the Lord in full-time preaching, be careful that you don't serve for filthy lucre's sake. Do you think it's a temptation for preachers to be conscious of making more money and serving out of money? Yes, no. No. I remember the very first service we held in this church. None of you were there. It was the very first service that my brother and I were there. And um, we were doing this church service, and my brother was preaching, and somebody sat right about in the back there, and it wasn't this building, but it was a building that was about a quarter this size. Somebody sat in the back right on that side, and during the service, they were holding up their Bible, and they were going like this to my brother as he was preaching indicating that they didn't like what he was preaching. Soon as the service was over, the deacon in the church came up. This was our very first visit to this church. Came up and said, "You better." that man at the end of the service who was doing that got up and stormed out. The deacon came up and said to my brother, you better go out there and you better apologize for whatever you said because he's our biggest giver. And it was like, what? We're going to let our preaching be controlled by who gives what money? Do you think it's a temptation for preachers to do that? It is. It is. That's why, what what have we done to prevent that from happening here? I have no idea what anybody gives. And it better stay that way. Because it removes that temptation. And so he's saying, preachers don't get caught up with the idea that you have to have big bucks or make more money. There's a story that comes out of history that's true. It's about a young man by the name of James. He decided that he was in the Chicago area. He decided years ago, you can see by the picture how long ago it was, that he was going to become the world's greatest seller of cheese. So he started processing the cheese, and then he would take his, his horse that was called Patty, and he'd go into Chicago and try to sell on the street the cheese. And so he was a believer. He wanted to serve the Lord. He thought the Lord would have him do this. But in order to sell the cheese and to really make a success, he started working seven days a week. He started working so much, he didn't have time to read his Bible anymore, as he tells the story later on. He got so involved with it, and guess what happened with his business? It didn't go anywhere. It wasn't moving forward. So he said that there's one time I'm walking down the street saying, what's going on? What's wrong? And he was smitten in his heart that it was to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Okay, so he said to his horse, Patty, he says, Patty, we're doing this backwards. We're serving cheese, not serving the creator. And we've got to change this. So he determined that he was going to get his priorities reversed. And so he changed that idea of the seven days a week and made sure he was in worship. He changed the hours he was working to make sure he wasn't going to slough off, but he was going to put the Lord first. And over a period of time, he started to become successful. In fact, he became pretty successful. Um, You do Kool-Aids, you do a lot of cheese, you do a lot of different things. His name, by the way, is this guy, J.L. Kraft. You ever hear of Kraft food industries? Okay? Now, years later, he's telling his testimony, which is recorded, and I'm quoting from some of it, where he's standing before Southside uh, Church there in Chicago, and he is saying to this group, if I had to give up the business, I would do that because my service is for the Lord first and foremost. My most important contribution is sitting, being in this church, working as a teacher in this church. This is my real job for God. That other business that I'm running, that just helps me to do some of this better. In being able to train and and help out others. And he had the right spirit and God blessed him for it. Now he's one of the rare bird's that says okay i'm going to get this priority and make a change but he realized that mammon could control and he needed to have proper priorities you and i need the same thing let's move on to number 3 resist the bug of greed we talked about this this morning the love of money is the root of all evil watch all these other verses labor not to be rich will your um, labor not to be rich will you set your eyes upon that which is not for riches certainly make themselves wings they fly away as the eagle he that That loves silver shall never be satisfied with silver. How much do you need? What is the answer that some say? A little bit more. Okay. So he goes on, he says, Nor he that loves abundance with increase, that's all vanity. Elsewhere we read, He that is greedy of gain troubles his own house. He that hates the bribes, that's good. That's good. He goes a little bit further. love of money is the root of evil. Keep yourself free from the love of money in Hebrews. He said unto them, take heed, beware of covetousness. And in, this, one, this one strikes me a little bit funny. I don't mean to be irreverent, but an inheritance may be gotten too hasty. How do you get an inheritance too early? <laughs> you could steal it. You could demand it. You could kill the person, okay? And it's like, really? An inheritance may be gotten too hastily, but in the end thereof, it shall not be blessed. And then First Timothy, what we talked about this morning, contentment with godliness is great gain. So we have all these verses that add to it. And here's our question that we want to build on from this morning. How do you become content? What do you do on a day-to-day basis that might help you to be more content? Here's some practical suggestions. I'm sure you have many more, is take time outs, Take time outs in the week to meditate on your blessings. Don't just keep on being blessed without stopping and saying, how did I get blessed this week? In what ways? In fact, why don't you take the, make it a practice, periodically, walk through your house and thank God for the possessions and the provisions that he's made. It's amazing that God has given us this or led us to this deal and we, we enjoy it, but we don't express thank you for it. We pray for it and then we get it and then we don't stop and say thank you. Take time to openly say thanks in a meal when you're praying together with your family together. To thank God for certain things that He's provided for you beyond just the food. Just itemize them. Let your kids understand that things here in this house were given by God. Resist comparing your bank account and possessions with others. Resist those thoughts that come into your mind that the grass is greener on the other side. Become content with the employment that God. God has given that. and Thank God this is where I'm at right now. Volunteer annually at a charity center. You want to see how blessed you are? Go and help some people who aren't so physically, financially blessed that are struggling. Go on a missions trip You'll see how some of the world lives. It'll give you a greater appreciation for what you enjoy. Visit those who are alone. Go and visit those, the widows, the ones who are, who are strapped, the ones who they, they're lonely. Go and visit them. And that'll even just refresh your spirit to say, hey, I've been blessed with what I have. Enjoy the simple things that are free and inexpensive. Teach your kids this, that to have a good time, we don't have to spend, spend, spend. We can have fun by doing simple things. Let them understand that. Work at loving people, not the things, by taking time for them. Make sure you have that close walk with the Lord. And we could go on and on and on about it, about working at contentment. Let's go to another thought. Work hard for, don't wish a lot for financial blessings. What I'm talking about is there's this mindset. Pennsylvania promotes it a lot. Pennsylvania has all these things that are called lotto, right? And what's the purpose? What's the thought behind it? I I know they advertise all the monies that comes in this goes to help the elderly. That's not what would that that doesn't convince any of people's to go. What is the permeating thought that people would be drawn to do the lotto? I'm gonna hit it big, right? I'll get you I might be lucky enough that I get all the winnings and I get the jackpot that's there and once we get the jackpot (gasps) sell the house, go on a cruise around the world, quit my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get all these dreams. What does the Bible say about this type of thinking? Here, the Bible says very clearly that the way to prosper is through hard work, not wishing. It's through hard work. In fact, the Bible very clearly states, be careful of get-rich-quick schemes. Be very careful. Again, this is truth you need to share with your children and grandchildren. That this is advice from God. And train them. Let them understand this. Watch the verses. It says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The Bible says, A sluggers appetite. It's never filled, but the desires of those who are diligent, they're going to be taken care of. The Bible says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends to poverty. You know what? In our day and age, in our society, and in our COVID environment, this needs to be rehearsed. That God didn't plan for a society of handout. God planned for a society of workers, inventors, those who would try to excel to be their best. And so he goes on, he says elsewhere, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves the wine, the oil will not become rich. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He's going to be blessed. He's going to stand is recognized by other individuals. Beware the rich, the get-rich-quick schemes. Okay, whether we talk about you know, the gambling, whether we talk about some fantastic investment that's going to reward you with a thousand percent return within a month. Wow. Okay, be careful. He says, wealth gained hastily it dwindles. But whoever gets, why is it that so many people who win the lottery are broke within a year? What's that? They don't know how to use it. They've never, they, they, and they don't change their lifestyle. It's like somebody who goes on a binge diet. You can lose the weight in the binge, but what typically happens? It, it comes right back. The same thing with people who don't handle their finances well and they're going to get rich quick and then everything will be resolved. They've never learned how to handle good stewardship. And then it dwindles quickly. Now, I'm going to give you two different translations here because I find them very interesting how the different translations may help you to understand. It says, He that tills his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that follows vain persons is void of understanding. The NIV translates the second half this way. Those who work their land will have abundant food, okay? But those who chase after fantasies, people with the vain person with an empty dream... They will have no sense whatsoever. There's a caution. Don't get caught up with somebody that's selling you whatever you want to say. I'm going to sell you stock in Brooklyn Bridge. Okay? Be careful of that fantasy idea. Beware of, here's another thought that goes right along with this. Beware of spiritual laziness. Spiritual laziness hit the New Testament. Do you remember there's a church in Thessalonica that they started believing that the Lord was coming back soon? Yes? Okay. Do we think the Lord's coming back soon? Okay. So what did those people do? They stopped working. Okay. And so, hey, wait a minute. We can just, we'll just leave our bills. We'll we'll stockpile bills. The Lord will rapture us and somebody else has to pay the bills. That's a spiritual laziness. And he writes to them, and he warns them in this text, For even when we were with you, we commanded you, If anyone will not work, neither shall he. I wish the United States was adopt this on their dollar bill as their motto. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in disorderly manner, not working at all. And typically what happens? If they don't work, they become... Busy bodies, okay? Now those who who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus that you work in quietness and eat your own bread. In other words, get busy taking care of your own needs instead of waiting for a handout. Okay, so we got these principles. We go to number five. Be ethical and honest in all of your dealings. So we know that the Pinocchio syndrome, it's rampant out there. God basically says, listen, I want you to be honest. You who are believers, when it comes to whatever you're doing with finances, remember this, provide things honest, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Don't just be honest here. Be honest when you go to work. Be honest when you're dealing with your insurance agent, when you're filling out your taxes, having your conversation and conduct honest. He says, walk honestly towards them that are without, especially those who are outside the faith that you want to be a witness to, make sure you're practicing honesty. A poor man, it's better than being a liar. Keep your reputation. We go a little bit further, where he hates dishonesty when it comes to business deals. Where in the Old Testament, a false balance is abomination. Abomination. Uh, to the Lord. A just weight is his delight. Those unequal weights, they're an abomination. The false balance, it's not good. Wealth gotten by lies will diminish. Lying lips are an abomination, but they that deal truly. They're God's delight. And so what does this mean in our financial dealings? You lay this out. When we say to somebody, you're talking to somebody and you're saying you need to be honest in your financial dealings, like What? Not cheating on your taxes. Okay, turning in expense reports. Making sure your expense report for reimbursement is valid. Excellent. Can you think of any other ways that we need to be honest? Okay, when we report things for insurance claims, be honest. Somebody back there. Your income, okay. Okay. Dealing with the honest fact. We could, we could go on. Is it honest to pay the bills that you agreed to pay? Yes or no? You signed a contract. Pay the bills. Okay. List, uh, you know, live up to the business deals you agreed to. Even if later on you say, well, I have second thoughts about it. You agreed to it. You gave your word. Okay, here we go. Report all the income like you said. Don't lie about the hours that you're filling in. A, you know, most of us don't fill in time cards anymore. But when, you're, when you've said, I'm going to work these hours, work those hours. We Work the job when you're at work. Don't lie to make a sale. You know, do, do, you, do do car salesmen ever lie? The, in your business, there's liars? There's a lot, yeah. Do you know there's a lot of liars in my business too? yeah. Yeah, the, the matter is which one is more. Statistically, they say either car salesmen or preachers are right at the top. And that's a shame. It ought not be that way. If an item, if an item you need to return, don't deceive when you're returning it. I told you this. Remember this years ago? We bought a vacuum cleaner. We, went down, we had a vacuum cleaner. It went bad. So we went down to Boscov's to buy a vacuum cleaner because we needed one that day when we were doing the janitor work. So one of us ran down to Bosco's and we picked up the vacuum cleaner and it was obviously, you know, the box was still never opened, supposedly. We brought it back here and when we put it here and took the knife and cut the box open, do you remember? It was filled with rocks. So we went back there and said... And they said, well, actually, somebody brought back a vacuum that they had bought the week before, and they said it wasn't working, so this is the box that we just retaped and put it on the shelf. Would people ever do that? So being honest, even in those areas. Don't lie. Don't lie. The money is in the mail. Okay, be honest. You know, the others... Uh, uh, I remember one article I was reading that they were talking about. They had a friend. These ladies said one of their friends that they would go out to lunch regularly. She had the habit that when it was time to pay, she would get a phone call. And she would have to step away. And then after a bit, when everybody's coming out and to join her in the parking lot, she would always say, oh, thanks for picking up my tab. I'll pay you. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And after a while, they started thinking... Yeah, we he, do something here that this, that's being dishonest. We could go on about all kinds of things, but let me go on for the sake of time. Learn to manage your money well. Learn to manage money, your riches well. What we mean by this is not any singular verse, but this concept. In Proverbs, he says, every prudent man deals with knowledge. You have got to have knowledge of certain things. Now, this is the verse I use when it talks from scriptures about setting up a budget. I base it on this passage. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks, to look well to the herds for riches. The farmer in the Old Testament needed to know what condition his animals were in if he was going to be successful. You need to know what condition your finances are if you're going to be successful. You have to know the state of your herd. You need to know how much money is coming in and how much money is going out. You've got to figure this out, or you're going to be you know, in grave trouble if it's just happening and you're living by the seat of your pants. Jesus even suggested this very thing where he says, if you're going to build a tower, you need to know the cost before you start building the tower. If a king is going to war, he needs to know the cost of the, of the battle lest all of a sudden they're in the middle of the bu- building in the middle of the war and they can't con- can continue on with you know, the idea of the process of the warfare or the idea of building. So there's this, this implicit idea you need to know your financial condition, your financial status. Now in order to do that you need to have some type written some type of written budget if the budget is up here It's not really a budget because you're not keeping real good track. There are so many times that we can just fudge when it's only up here. But have something written. You need to distinguish between needs and wants. You need to pause at times and say, okay, if it's an unusual purchase, let's, let's think it through. Do we really need it? Think through, are we going to use it? Think through, is it the best time for us to purchase? And so you're managing, you're thinking through, you're practicing self-control. As well, should you be putting aside some form of savings, even a little amount, on a regular basis? The answer is yes. Yes, it's wise financial planning. Now again, if you want to get into more of the nitty-gritty, seek people with greater wisdom that do this. That, that, that have, we can recommend peoples, we give a class, we have a couple of different couples here who can do, and have done over the years financial counseling. We'll put you in touch with some of those people that can help out. Number seven, always beware of going into debt or living on credit. Always beware. Why is that? Why does the, what does the Bible say about borrowing and lending? Okay, let's let me let me back up and just give you this This is a most recent study that's from 2021. Yeah, and this is talking about the average American right now. The average American they're talking about the debt per average American we're not talking national debt this that would be much worse, but purchasing uh, debts, mortgages, school loans, credit cards, the average adult American is $96,371 in debt. I agree. I agree with that. And he says the average credit card balance is uh, $5,121. I go again. Okay. And then he says, while the average American saving account is only $4,500, we can pick on our government leaders for deficit spending and not managing well, but guess what? As a nation... We're not doing any better than our government leaders. We're not doing any better. You and I should be totally different on this scale. As believers, we should have a better handle on our finances. We should understand that the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. That concept. We should understand that the Bible says, oh, no man, anything. Okay, I'm going to explain that a little bit more. But the point is that you and I should be careful about debts and paying. Do we understand that there's need that sometimes we will use credit cards in our society, that it is a necessity for functioning in some ways? Yes or no? Yes. But if we're using them, we should be prepared to pay them off ASAP. Now here's another area of credit that you ought to be considering, especially those of you who are older like me. The Bible clearly says, don't give surety for others. Surety is the term, not interest. Don't be mistaken by that. Surety is co-signing for other people. And so be very careful of co-signing for other individuals, including family. Be careful. Here's what the Word of God says. Whosoever puts up security for a neighbor or a stranger will surely suffer harm. Okay, my son, if you be surety for your friend, if you have stricken your hand with a stranger, you're snared by the words of your own mouth. He says this elsewhere, he, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. He says this, be not one of those who give pledges for security, surety who put up security for the debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why are they going to take your bed because of somebody else's debt? So be very, very cautious. The Word of God does not encourage you to co-sign for other people. And then people come and they say, will you as a church co-sign for me because I want to buy something? And we say, no. You don't love me. I love you enough that I realize that if we co-sign, it becomes a problem, we're going to have relationship issues. So the wisdom is develop your own, your own finances. If you need to, save and learn how to do it like the Bible encourages. Number seven, or number eight, meet all your financial obligations before you chase after your personal pleasures. Meet your financial obligations. What we mean by that is this, the wicked borrows and pays not again. What we mean by that is, oh, no man anything. Now let me pause and explain the application here. Does that mean you can never have a mortgage on your house? Does not mean you never, ever have a bill? No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean when it says, oh, no man, anything. But let me give you an illustration, okay? If, if we're going to say, oh, no man, anything, we're going to have to pay as we use, what do we do tonight? What are we, what are we running here on credit? We're, we got lights going, okay? And the way the system is set up, do we get a bill from them and then we pay the bill? Yes, okay, and so there's, there's certain things set up that way. Is it possible that even in the New Testament, Jesus had a bill, he owed somebody, and he met that obligation. But he owed somebody. Do you remember when the occasion is? His taxes, his temple taxes. He and Peter owed their temple taxes. And they came around and they said, hey, it's time to pay up. What did Jesus tell Peter to do in Matthew 12? go fishing. And what did Peter do? He went fishing, and what did he find? The coins in the fish's mouth to pay the bill. So when we say, oh, no man, anything, that doesn't mean you can never make a bill. That's not what I understand the application to be. Well, I said Matthew 12, it's Matthew 17. Jesus even had a bill. The idea is the wicked doesn't pay his bill. It's, oh, no man, anything, and is the idea that... You might have a bill due and you're supposed to pay it, not just let it go indefinitely. And so you don't renege on your agreements. And so how does this look like? What does it look like when it says, oh, no man, anything? It means you pay your bills. You pay your bills. You pay your rent. You pay your mortgages. It means you pay your credit card payments. It means as well that if you're an employer and you got people working for you, you pay them. You pay them what what you agreed that you were going to pay them. You don't renege. It means you repay family and friends like you said you would pay them. It means that if you're unable to pay somebody because of your setback, you go and talk to that person and you let them know. You don't just let it out there. You make sure that you're being ethical and honest and speak to them. It means you pay your, skill, your school bills and loans. It means that... Okay, yeah. I, I just don't see the, the wisdom. I don't see the fairness. I don't see the sense in all of a sudden absolving bills that people agreed to pay. It doesn't help. uh, It doesn't help any of us. It just puts a greater burden on all of us. So I'm going to send this message to the president. Okay. (laughs) You don't default on your loans. It means even this. If you borrow something, you get it back to the person you borrowed it from. You return it. If you borrowed a book from my library, you should be bringing it back. Okay. And vice versa. Okay, it's just if you, if you borrow somebody's vehicle, return it with the gas that you used. It's just simple common sense, is it not? It's just, you know, and we're in a day and age where people are bar- borrowing CDs and different things, give them back. The, the wicked borrows and pays not again, give it back. Okay, return those things. Let's go to number nine be charitable. Be charitable. We talked about this this morning. You know all these verses that he says, okay, he that has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and God's going to repay him. He that oppresses the poor to increase his own riches, phew, they're going to come to want. That, that applied to the Pharisees who weren't even taking care of their own parents. They would call, they would all of a sudden, instead of putting out money to help their parents who were in need, what did they say about the money? I will call it Korban. It's dedicated to the Lord when I die. Therefore, I can't use it for my parents because when I die, it's going to the temple. Oh, come on. And Jesus rebuked them for it. He that has a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he gives the bread to the poor. He that gives to the poor shall not slack, but he that hides his eyes shall have many a curse. We go in the New Testament, and they say, Jesus said, we don't have a specific statement in the Gospels. But they quote Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We read in James that if you have faith, but you see your brother, you claim. You have faith, and you see a brother or sister naked and destitute, and you say depart in peace be warmed and filled but you don't help him out then he says show me your faith show me the genuineness of your faith we read in first john whoever has this world's goods and see his brother in need and shuts up his heart how does the love of god abide in him so charity is a part of our supposed to be part of our characteristic we're not supposed to be like this guy this guy was a banker in this local town, and he ran the local bank. And the charity was raising money to help out people, poor people in the town. And this Scrooge character in modern day, he responded when they made a phone call to him and they asked him for a donation. They said, "Our records show you make around five hundred thousand a year, yet you haven't given any penny to charity. Would you like to help the community?" The banker's response: He replied. Did your research show that my mother is ill with extremely expensive medical bills? Uh, no, no, we didn't find that. We didn't realize that. Or that my brother is blind and unemployed, that my sister's husband died, leaving her broke with, our, with four kids? No, we didn't realize that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Well, if I don't give any money to them, why would I give any money to you? Now, that's not what we're supposed to be like. We're not supposed to be that miserly at all we're supposed to be charitable people let me go on take a step further we're supposed to be giving our first fruits to the lord teach your kids teach your your anybody you're coming content teach them this principle of the word of god that we give the first fruits to the lord and i know preachers there's jokes all about these preachers who are really craving after money and you know i don't preach this as frequently as the word of god would demand But there's the jokes that say, hey, I'm afraid nobody's going to find us. Don't worry. I give $100,000 a year to my church. My pastor's going to find us. I am so appreciative of your faithful giving, and I don't have to feel compelled that we need to address it. And yet, by the word of God, should I be addressing it to train? Yes, absolutely. But we don't have to—there's just— a giving spirit. I appreciate it so much because though you guys understand this. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of your increase. Give, it shall be given to you. Now concerning, and this is the time to make sure we rehearse this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, I'm giving to you also in Corinth. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay, by, lay, uh, lay something aside, storing up as he's prospered, that there be no collections when I come. Okay? So taking this thought, let me answer a few questions about giving to the Lord. Okay? Based on that First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, when is it supposed to be done? Upon the first day of the week. How often does the first day of the week come? I'm not trying to be silly about this. How often does the first day of the week Okay, it's coming every week. So what type of giving should we have? Regular giving, okay? Where are we supposed to give? He's talking to churches, and he says, lay, by, lay in store. The word for, the lay, for laying in store is the treasure box that was you put at the temples. Remember the lady comes up and throws her mites in? It's that collection box. Now we used to use the offering plates. Now we have the literal collection box. That's the word that you at the church put in the collection box on a regular basis. A little bit further, who's supposed to do this? Let every one of you, he said in First Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. Why are we supposed to do it? One, it's commanded, but also as I have prospered you. We give out of gratitude. We give to the Lord regularly. And then we have this, how, how much do we give? Based upon how the Lord has prospered you. The Old Testament concept that was before the law, all the way through the law, and even post-law. And the only thing that God said the Pharisees did right was what? They tithed. That's the only thing that he commends them for. He says, you ought to have done this. So in my mind, I understand that a good place to start is the tithe. That it was that concept even before the law, not limited to the Jewish law, but even before then. That we teach our kids that they give regularly a percentage and it varies between us. We don't assign an amount. Why not? As the Lord has prospered you. And we have different incomes, but we still have percentages that I'm going to trust and give to the Lord out of gratitude for what he's done for me. Because this is his plan for providing and making sure for his ministries. And so we come to this final thought. You need to keep trusting in the Lord keep trusting in the lord that's where we started in matthew where what we need to do in handling our finances is trusting the lord to meet our needs in our country what are we encouraged to trust in the government right and is is there is there system set up that we trust the government no i mean is is there a saving system set up yes there is okay There's a saving system set up. We call it Social Security, and it's there. And the idea is encouraging people to just trust the government. You and I can argue all about the philosophical rightness of that, okay? But what we need to step back and say is this. The government is not who we should be trusting in. It's got to be the Lord. You know, we too often get caught up with Washington, D.C., and I know we need to be concerned about it. Please don't get me wrong. There's a balance here. We're supposed to be trusting in the Lord. We're supposed to be practicing these verses. Look at the birds in the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. Yet your Father feeds them. He's going to take care of us. We read these verses. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And God's going to add to us the things we need. That's in that context, our food, our clothing, our shelter. We read, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We read in the Old Testament, young lions do lack, they suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord, they're not going to be in want of any good thing. God is going to provide our needs. He's going to take care of us. What we need to do is trust him. We, I found this just an interesting, we, we quote this phrase all the time, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you know what verse it's, what it's talking about in its context? Watch the whole verse. Let your conduct or your conversation be without covetousness, without greed. Be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave thee. Never. When did, what, in what context is he saying, trust me that I'll never leave you nor forsake thee? It's in the context of finances that he's going to take care of us. And so we look at it and say, okay, here's where we need to be. Just be content with what little we have, but have the fear of the Lord. It's a great treasure. Trust in the Lord. Father, help us with these simple principles to not only communicate them, but to live them and to be on guard. Help us to be peoples that will portray this, propagate this, pass it on until you come back, Thank you so very much for you promising to care for us and our needs. It is a delight to know that we can trust in you. Thank you for this opportunity and for these folk and their attentiveness, their good giving. Bless us. We look forward to this month's giving for missions and help us to honor you to the best of our ability. We pray in his, your son's most holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here.